God is doing some stuff here. God is really making his presence known, and I encourage you during the week to just be in prayer that God just, you know, speaks to you personally during the week as well as here on Sunday morning. And um, I just want all of what God has for me, and I know you do too, for all that God has for you. So we are in week four of our series, The Ministry of Jesus, looking at the ministry that Jesus had. It's looking primarily at the book of John, but also at some of the other Gospels. And today we're looking at the end of chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. So I encourage you to just get your Bibles. If you don't have one and want one to follow along, there's one in the center with the connection cards in the envelopes if you ever need those. And so uh, 3, verse 22 through 36. After this... <clears throat> Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Okay, so let's talk about this. Jesus is out in the countryside with his disciples, and it tells us in that first verse there that he's baptizing people as well. And apparently, John the Baptist and his disciples were in an area not far from there. It sounds like they're just across the Jordan River, and they're also baptizing people. Um, and after an argument between John's disciples and a certain Jew who they don't tell us anything about the argument and who that person was, it just says that they come to John and they ask about uh, the fact that Jesus is, is baptizing too. So have you ever noticed that when people argue about something, that they can get upset about a lot of other things too. It's kind of like you start arguing and you start getting that way and you feel like, and so then other things seem uh, kind of annoying as well. And I think that's what had happened here. Have you noticed that? Yeah. yeah. So the disciples come and they say, Rabbi, which means teacher to John, they're saying this, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, you know, the one you said was the Lamb of God. Well, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him now. And it's kind of like they're saying, 
What's this new guy doing anyway? I mean, doesn't he know that baptizing's our deal? I mean, hello, John the Baptist. I mean, that's our ministry. What in the world? John is the baptizer. And then the worst thing to them apparently was now everybody is going to Jesus. And so to these disciples, it, it, it started getting kind of competitive. Uh, Jesus is taking the crowds away. Uh, they were becoming yesterday's big deal. And they were becoming forgotten because Jesus is the new thing and everyone's going to Jesus. Sometimes people who are good people and even leaders and even churches start looking <clears throat> at other things, other, comp other people, other churches as competition. They think that this ministry is competitive with them and they got to fight for the people. And they're stealing their crowds and taking the spotlight off of them. Okay, when people are like this, though, this is a win-lose mentality, isn't it? That means if you win, I lose. Well, it's also a scarcity mentality because it, it means that I think if I have that kind of mentality, I'm thinking that there's only so much to go around. So if you get more, I get less. And uh, only so many resources. And that's not a good way to approach life. In the kingdom of God, this is never true. Because God is the God of more than enough. He's the God of the impossible. And we should care for each other. We should encourage each other. We should pray for other churches, that God will use them too, and that as they preach the word of God, that people will be touched and ministered to as well. In Galatians 6.2, it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We're told to carry each other's burdens, which means we're supposed to encourage each other, care about each other. If we can help someone who needs some help, we help them. Uh, we need to help each other and not push others out of the way so we can become or try to stay some kind of big deal. So when John the Baptist's disciples came and said this to him, they probably thought, oh, he's going to jump on this too. He's, he's not going to be happy about this. Good thing we came and told him. And their comments were probably meant to draw John out and be part of this argument, the part of this discussion. So what do you think they hoped John would say? What do you think? Help me out. They, they thought he'd fight for the cause, yeah. Yeah, they're saying, they're probably thinking, well, yeah, that's right. What's he doing? Yeah. <laughs> so they probably thought he would agree with them for sure. And that what was that man doing baptizing on the other side of the river? Uh, so, but John the Baptist, when you think about what kind of a man he was, he followed God and he was a man who called people to repentance. In Matthew 3, 7 to 10, it says, but when he, and this is talking about John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So he was not a guy to hold back from what he thought, right? He would say it. He, he didn't have that, like, oh, politically correct thing going on there. He was telling the people the truth of God. And so 
They probably didn't get the response they thought they would get from him, those disciples, right? Because in ministry or in your job or whatever, no matter what you are doing, there can come a time when you need to step aside and provide the way for what is next, for what God is doing next. And John knew that this was what was next, and he did not need to fight against it. Because if he had fought against it, he would have been fighting against God himself. John the Baptist understood this, and he told the disciples then, I can only do what God gives me to do. So what happens if you go against God, what God's telling you to do? What if he had said, well, I'm going to do something else? What happens if you go against what God tells you to do? What do you think? You'll be sorry, you'll get in trouble. You won't be blessed. That's right. When we follow what God has for us, when if I'm stepping out in what God's telling me to do, I'm going to have his provision for me. I'm going to have the power and the resource that God is giving me to step out and follow him. If I'm doing something else, I don't have that benefit. I'm going to probably be doing it in my own strength. And if we sense that God has given us a purpose for our lives and we do something else, we're going to set ourselves up for trouble and failure. Because remember, like Pastor Steve was reminding us back there, blessing follows obedience. And John the Baptist understood what his role was in this whole big picture, what his role was in Jesus' ministry. He said, I came first. He's the forerunner. And a forerunner, I don't know if any of you have ever been uh, part of uh, ski racing or, you know, downhill racing, but they always have a course forerunner ski the course first. So nobody comes on that course without having somebody else have gone before. And so John has come before to let people know what's coming, to let people know what's after. A forerunner, if you look up the definition, it says it's a person that precedes the coming or development of someone else. So he preceded the coming of Jesus Christ in his ministry. He let people know about the need for repentance to prepare the way for Jesus. John knew his role was just that, to prepare the way and to be that forerunner. And he said it's kind of like the friend of the bridegroom. And in weddings in that time and place, if a, a groom would go to get the bride, you know, for that, they got engaged, the couple got engaged, the groom would go and prepare the home for the bride to be, for them to be married and the bride to be taken to that home. When everything's ready, the father of the groom says, go get your bride. And they leave, and the whole wedding party around the groom go, and it's announced with a shofar. It's announced with shouting and noise, and they're coming toward where uh, the bride is to get her. And so um, John is saying, I'm that person. I'm alerting everyone to the bridegroom. It's not me. I'm alerting everyone to Jesus, but it's not about me now. I need to step back. He said, I have joy knowing my part in this is complete. John saw the ministry that he had for a while was in preparation for the ministry of Jesus. And he announced this earlier. He was announcing Jesus earlier in John 1, 29 to 31, it says, The next day John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's announcing his coming. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's the Son of God. 
I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water, with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And John tells his disciples here as they're asking about what's going on, he says, you know what? He must become greater, and I must become less. John here is saying, my importance is becoming less. I've been telling you about him, and now he's here. My influence in this is less. The spotlight now is on Jesus Christ. John grew up knowing his cousin. He was a cousin of Jesus, uh, and he really didn't know that he was the Messiah for sure until that day when Jesus came to the Jordan where John was baptizing, and he baptized Jesus to begin that ministry of Jesus. And in our lives, it's the same for us. We don't want to be trying to be the big deal. We want Jesus to shine through us. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, we want Jesus to become more in our lives and us to become less. Then John gives his followers there a spiritual les a lesson on his relationship to God and Jesus. And he says, the one who comes from above, and Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is God. He's above all. And then he talks about there's one who comes from the earth, and he's talking about himself and who belongs to the earth. And that's like all of us. We're all like John. We're, we're of the earth. We're not God. We're humans. And so he's comparing the two. He's saying, God's above all, and, and we're just down here on earth. And he's making a clear distinction between himself and Jesus Christ, showing his disciples and us that Jesus is the one they should be following. He's the Savior. The testimony of Jesus, the undeniable truth of God, he says. The word of God. God sent his son, that very word of God, to us to be our Lord and Savior. And then John says, and he gives the spirit without limit. I mean, this is so packed with such important truths for us. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Uh, he guides and reveals things to us. He empowers us to obey and to understand the commands of God and to share with others about our relationship with God, about our relationship and faith in Jesus Christ. And we have that Holy Spirit available to us today too, without limit. That means you can't use it all up. You know, like sometimes you'll hear about a sale, but there's a limit to that sale, right? It, it ends. It's got an end date. I mean, it, even at Red Lobster, unlimited shrimp has an end date on that sale. It might come up again sometime, but that particular time is unlimited for a limited amount of time. Not with God. It is unlimited for an unlimited amount of time. There's always more of what God has for us. You can never use it up. Uh, verse 34, that, um, that without limit phrase that John uses there and in, in translated in English, in the original language means without measure. That means that God is not sitting there with a yardstick measuring off so much of this for you and so much of that for you and you can't have more. No, not a little here and a little there and only we can have just so much. No, God is not stingy. God is the God of more than enough. If you need his power and his grace in your life, there's more than what you need. There's more than what you could ever possibly use. It talks about being in Ephesians 3.19. It says, to know this love, the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
talks about being filled with all the fullness of God because of God's love for us, filled to overflowing, saturated with the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's available to each of us. When we follow Jesus, we have all the resources that the Father has available to us. And God says he will give us everything we need to live that godly life. Second Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That, that means you've got everything you need. That means there's nothing you can encounter that God will not have what you need to be able to get through that. As long as you are trusting in him, putting your faith in him, asking him for his help and his resource, put your faith in him, you can get through it. He will help you get through it. John the Baptist's testimony teaches us that Jesus is to be our focus. Everything is in his hands, and everything that concerns you and me is part of that. He saw himself for who he was. John the Baptist saw, you know, my part in this is not being the savior. My part in this was being the forerunner. Jesus, he's the promised savior. And he saw his role in it, who he was. And then John says in verse 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. He's saying, if you believe in Jesus, if you follow him, you have eternal life. If you reject it, you don't have it. So don't stay with me. Don't make me the big deal. It's Jesus. He's the Lord and Savior. Follow him. The people who encountered Jesus had a choice to believe in him or not. And it was a matter of life and a matter of healing also. Let's continue in chapter 4, starting at verse 46 through 54. And this is talking about Jesus. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So here we have Jesus back at the site of his first miracle where he turned the water into wine in Cana. And a royal official comes to meet him. We don't know anything else about this guy except he has a family and his son is really sick. And he heard that Jesus was... In Galilee, he'd come back from Judea, so he goes to find him because the sick apparently is very close to death. So how many of you have children? Yeah, what would you do if your son or daughter was dying? 
Cry out to God. Pray. Pray. Seek God. Trust God. Take them to the hospital. Do anything possible. Yeah. Call 911 maybe. Yeah. I think we would all say we'd be like this man, like this royal official. We would do whatever we could, go wherever we could go to help our child to get well, to be healed. The official heard that Jesus healed people. And Jesus heals today too. If we have a need for healing, for breakthrough, to be set free of things, we need to go to the Lord Jesus. And like many of you said, to fall on our knees before him, to surrender it all to him, to believe on him and to call on his name. And Jesus made a statement to this man that um, unless people see miraculous signs and wonders, they won't believe which is kind of a strong statement, don't you think? He's coming, he's, he's, he's probably a mess. Wouldn't you say, he's coming, please come. And he says, well, unless you see a miracle or sign, you're not going to believe. So he spoke to this man's heart, apparently, as much as to those around who were listening, that there's going to be a sign and you can believe. And uh, <clears throat> there was a tendency of people in that time, and there's a tendency sometimes with us too, that we only believe if we see miracles. You know, as long as there's miracles in our life, we're good. But if it seems like there's nothing happening, we can tend to drift away from God. And we let our relationship with Jesus just become ordinary. We might start stop seeing God as that mighty, all-powerful God that he is. This royal official apparently doesn't see Jesus as the Messiah because he addresses him as sir. Not even as rabbi, but sir. So he's just seeing, this guy maybe can help me. And he begs him to come heal his son before the child dies. And Jesus says, you can go. Your son will live. And so this man leaves and it tells us that he took Jesus at his word. You know, that's something we need to do to take Jesus at his word. When there's things in our life that seem difficult and we go to the word of God, we can take Jesus at his word, take God at his word and know that that will impact our lives and help us to get through. Isn't it great that Jesus said that he would be healed and he was healed? And Jesus wasn't even there. Apparently it was like a day away. He had walked for a while because it tells us the next day while he's on his way home, the servants come and find him. So it took a while to get there. So Jesus said, your son is healed, and his son was healed. How cool is that? That means we can pray for people to be healed who aren't even right there with us. We can pray for family. We can pray for friends. We can pray for people that God would heal them even if they're not right with us. And so as the official returned home, he met some of his servants along the way with good news. The boy is alive. He is well. And when they compare notes about when the healing was, he realizes it happened at just that exact time. He knew it was Jesus that did it. The royal official then and his whole household, that means his family and all his servants, believed that Jesus was the Son of God and believed on him. So what about us? How can we see God move in our lives as well and do miracles in our life? How can we see the power of God revealed in us? 
Well, to see God move in your life, the first thing you need is to have a proper image. We need to have a proper image of ourselves. Just like John the Baptist, we need to see that we are not the big deal, okay? We need to see that Jesus is the big deal. And God gives the ability to the followers of Jesus Christ to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the things that we do should honor and glorify him in our relationships and in our work. It should be done in such a way that it brings glory to God. So when you are making that pot of coffee at work for everybody, do it to the honor and glory of God. When you are talking to people, do it in a way that honors and glorifies God. Not to make ourselves a big deal, but so people see Jesus Christ through us. We need to see we can't do anything on our own, too. Like, obviously, the proper image of my, myself is to see I need God to help me do things. You know, if I'm going to try to serve him in my life in all that I do, I need his power. We can't earn salvation. And we just receive what Jesus did for us. We ask him to be our Lord and Savior, and we can't earn the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We can't do that on our own. We need to ask God to fill us up with the Holy Spirit when we surrender all to Jesus Christ and ask him to just fill us with that Holy Spirit. And it says that Jesus gives that, God gives that without limit. Pretty cool. That, doesn't, that means that I can have as much of God's power in my life as I'm willing to have, as I want to have. God will give that to me. So to see God move, we need a proper image of ourselves, And secondly, we need to take Jesus at his word. The, ro the royal official did. He took Jesus at his word. Anything that God shows you in his word for you, the things you pray about, take God at his word. Know that God's word is the truth. The truth. And you can count on it. You can base your life on it. It's not going to change next week or in 20 years. The power of God's word, the truth of God, is there for eternity. You can believe fully in Jesus. So have a proper image of yourself. Take Jesus at his word. And then do what God tells you. In our Bible study this week, uh, we talked about we don't just need to read the word and know what it says, but we need to do it. But you have to start by reading it to know what God's will for your life is. A, a big share of it's right in here. There's no guesswork. It's in here, right? So as we read the word of God and, and study it and, and meditate on it, which means I think about it during the day. I read that those verses in the morning before I go to work, and then during the day I, I think about them off and on through the day and how they affect me. We need to obey those commands that are in the word. We need to do it if we want to see God move through us, if we want to see miracles of healing, of restoration, of breakthroughs, being set free. We need to do what God tells us to do. So we don't want to have any what the Bible calls impure living or unbelief or lack of obedience to keep us from what God has for us. Let's have a proper image of ourselves to see Jesus as the Son of God and to take Jesus at his word and to do what he shows us to do. Would you stand as we close? So I just ask you as you're standing to just bow your head. We're just going to have a, a time here just to have a time of commitment. How many of you would say you have an area in your life where you need a miracle of God right now? Just raise your hand. 
faith. If you want to see God move in that area and you want to take Jesus at his word and pray according to what God shows you, just raise your hand. Thank you. If you want to be filled with all the fullness of God, if you want to have all the resources, all the stuff God has for you, be filled with the Holy Spirit, just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you that you said, said in your word, you have all these things available to us without limit. God, I thank you that you are the God of more than enough. Lord, as we surrender our life to you, Lord God, you just make available to us all of the resources, all of the power, all of the grace, the mercy, the joy, all of the things you have for us, Lord God, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be able to follow you. Father, I pray that we would listen to what you show us to do. Lord, that each day we would hear your voice uh, through your word speak to us. Lord God, I pray that we would not only just know your word, but we would do it. I pray that we would say what the Father is giving us to say. I pray that we would do nothing on our own, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and do what he shows us to do and promises to help us to do. Thank you, Father. We just look with anticipation through this week that your power and your presence would be with us all week long. Lord God, that we would seek you above all else, that we would make you the big deal in our lives. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.